Well, for those of you who are guests here, let me just say that a few weeks ago, after two and a half years of serving as interim pastor here at the church, this church invited me to come and be their pastor, and I gladly, joyfully accepted, and so for the last few weeks, I have been the pastor at Bear Creek Baptist Church, and I'm grateful for that, and so I started immediately to try to lay out some thoughts and ideas of what I believe God wants us to do and be as a church here in Glen Heights, and so the very first Sunday as my, as the new pastor, I talked about who we are, and I said, we are a family of Jesus followers. And I want you to learn that little phrase. That's pretty short, so it shouldn't be hard for, if if I can learn it, I know anybody can. We are a family. That's the idea that we love one another. We belong to one another. We have the same father. We have the same fortune. We have the same future. We are a family. So we are a family but we are a family of Jesus followers. Jesus called his first disciples, and the, his invitation was just, follow me, follow me. And the last words that he gave, really, to the apostle Peter was, follow me. So the first words and the last words, follow me. So that's who we are. We are a family of Jesus followers. But then I said, uh, the next Sunday, I preached on the, uh, Uh, what our purpose is, what our mission is. Why do we exist? We said that we exist to make disciples and to equip disciple makers. That's who we are. And the reason that I say that is because we looked at uh, the last uh, command, really, that Jesus gave, the Great Commission, we call it. He said, go into all the world and make disciples, make disciples. And that's really how the church is supposed to grow. That's how we are supposed to grow is by making disciples and being discipled by someone. So that's what I want to talk to you today about how a church and how Christians are to grow, how we're to grow. The Bible tells us that God wants us to grow. When we're first born again, when we become a Christian, the Bible says we are like what? We're like babies. And so babies are pretty helpless. They don't know as much as they need to know. And so they, the Bible tells us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? And it is through this idea of being discipled, being discipled. I want to call your attention to two verses today, Timothy Second uh, Timothy chapter two verses one and two. Second Timothy chapter two verses one and two. And by the way, in the great commission that we uh, talked about there in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen and twenty, where Jesus said, "Go into all the world," and so forth. The the verb, the action verb in that is make disciples. That's what we're to be about: making disciples. And we said a couple of weeks ago, we can't really make converts. We can be witnesses. We can tell other people about Jesus, but we can't make anybody become a Christian. But we can help Christians grow in their knowledge of Christ and in the grace of the Lord. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You, therefore, my son... 
Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's the basis of discipleship right there. Paul says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But he said, those things that I have taught you. Now, Paul is writing to Timothy, and Paul was the discipler of Timothy. Timothy was the disciple of the Apostle Paul. Now, we use a word today that's a little more modern. I guess we use the word mentor. And uh, that's probably the, I guess, the, the, the going word today. Some people like to have a trainer or a personal coach or something like that if they're, in a, if they're uh, trying to lose weight or if they're trying to, to, to strengthen themselves. They may have a personal coach or something. But the word the Bible uses, and so therefore I like it the best, is the word disciple. And the Apostle Paul always had some disciples. Sometimes he'd have Epaphroditus. Sometimes he'd have others. But, but, but Timothy was one of his disciples. And so he says to Timothy, Now I want you to be really filled with God's grace. I want you to be strong in the grace of the Lord. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the things that I've taught you, and then I want you to teach them to others so they then can, having been your disciple, then they can disciple others. So that's the way God set it up for the church to grow and for Christians to grow. But in most churches today, we don't really have much of a discipleship emphasis. There's been a lot of emphasis in the last few years on church growth, and I'm all for church growth. I think it's great. I, I want to see our church grow. I told you two and a half years ago that I kind of have a dream, a vision of seeing every seat in this room filled uh, some Sunday, and maybe even people having to stand up or sit on the floor or something like that. I, I think that's wonderful. I, I long to see that. I believe we will see that. But do you know you can grow a great number in church and not have strong, growing believers in the church? And, and I'm not knocking anybody, I, I, so don't take this wrong, but there are a lot of churches today that are growing because of the, of the, uh, mm, the way they do their presentation. In other words, maybe more through like uh, uh, rock bands or, or concerts or uh, uh, what else? What's, what's some of the stuff I'm trying to think of right now? Uh, um, feel-good gospel, there you go, thank you, and, and maybe the, the bells and whistles and all the lights and smoke and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I'm not knocking that. Uh, I'm just saying that if that's the way you reach people, then you have to keep doing that to reach people. And, and you can have hundreds, thousands even of people in services like that who go away impressed, but not necessarily 
uh, having a sense of growing. And, I, and again, there are some churches who do that kind of stuff who probably also have a good discipleship role. So, I, again, I'm not knocking that at all. I, I'm really not. I've been to some of those churches, and I've been blessed by some of them. But I just know this, that God's way for Christians to grow is discipleship. And discipleship is one person taking one other person and having a Paul-Timothy kind of relationship where they can pour into their life their life. They can say to them, I want you to hear and learn what I've heard and learned, and I want to teach it to you in such a way that you then will be able to become a disciple maker to somebody else. And we said a few years ago, this was the genius, really, of the New Testament church. It didn't happen, but it was the genius. We said that if there had only been one Christian the year that Jesus rose from the dead, if there had only been one, there were more than one, but if there had only been one, and that one had spent a full year discipling one other, and then the next year, those two spent a full year discipling one each so that now there would be four Christians. And then the next year, there would be eight, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256, 5, 12, 2048, and on and on. In 32 years, the entire world would have been Disciple. Isn't that amazing? Now, I know some of you are looking, 32 years? Are you sure? Well, don't do it right now, but just go home and just do 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, and see how fast it happens. And it would happen with that one Christian having only discipled 31 people personally himself, training them to train others who could train others. Now, I know some of you ladies may be saying, well, that's fine for the men, but what about us women? I'm glad you asked that question. Look at Titus chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. So what are the ladies supposed to be doing? He says that the men are to be training other men. Look at what Paul tells Titus, who was another one of his disciples. He says, older women... And that doesn't mean old women. It just means women who are older than the younger women. So if you're 25 and there's a woman 21, you're older than she is. So this could work. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to wine. They are to teach what is good and so train or admonish, the word there is actually train, train the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. So that's the discipleship idea. So every Christian should be being discipled by somebody. And every Christian who is being discipled should be being discipled in order that they could become a discipler of someone else. 
that doesn't happen very often. I never had a discipler. And I have been sad about that. I became a Christian when I was 17, and I never had an older man to train me. And uh, I have wished so many times that I would have had a disciple maker who could have said, walk with me, learn from me. I made a huge mistake. I didn't know it was a huge mistake at the time. Uh, I began to pastor when I was 18. Now, I think the people in the church knew it was a huge mistake, but, uh, but I didn't know it was a huge mistake. But I, didn't, I never had a pastor. I didn't have someone who, who could instruct me, correct me, which I needed a lot of that, and uh, the first funeral that I ever attended in my whole life was the funeral that I conducted. I didn't even know what you did at a funeral. I had an idea you didn't sing or dance or anything, but I didn't know exactly what to do. And I've just thought so many times, even though I went to college and went to seminary and things like that, if I had had an older pastor who could have said, serve with me, watch me, follow me, listen to me, learn from me, how much I would have benefited from that. So I purposed early in my ministry that every place I went, I would start looking for a young man that I could personally disciple. And so... Let me ask you a question. How many of you can think of a person in your life who honestly, sincerely, genuinely discipled you one-on-one to help you in your Christian growth? They could instruct you. They could correct you. They could, uh, uh, they could clean up after you every once in a while and things like that. How many would say, I had a discipler in my life? Let me see your hand. Okay, that's, that's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. And I'm thankful for that. In most congregations, and that was probably 30%, maybe they helped their hand, in most congregations, it's less than 10% of people who say, I actually had someone who poured their life into me. Now, I know, you know, somebody might say, well, well, I do that with my children. Well, and you ought to, every, every father ought to be discipling his children. But we ought to have disciples outside our own family, outside of our own children. And when I came to Ovilla, the very first thing I started looking for was a young man that I could uh, kind of pour my life into. And uh, I found a guy at a little towed-away grocery store there in Ovilla. His name was Brian Treadaway. And uh, I said, uh, I prayed, and, and, and I felt God was directing me. And so I said, uh, Brian, I'd love to just become like a, like a father to you. And it turned out he married my daughter, and I did become like a father to him. <laughs> 
So that doesn't always happen. So don't be afraid if you start discipling somebody, they're going to marry one of your kids. Because I, at the time, I think Heather was 11, and so I was not anticipating Brian uh, uh, ever marrying her. But I spent the next, uh, well, I, I still to some degree, but I spent the next at least 10 years just trying to spend time with him as much as I possibly could and to teach him the things that God had helped me understand. And so I'm saying every Christian ought to be discipled and become a disciple maker. And that's why I say I want that to be our sense of saying why do we exist? We don't exist just to have great fellowship, although we do have great fellowship. We don't exist just to have great worship, although we do have great worship. We exist to make disciples and to train and equip disciple makers. That's who we are. And so five brief thoughts that I had on this idea about discipling based on these two verses and other passages in the new testament all of them start with the letter i that helps me remember them maybe it'll help you remember them and the first one is there is an initiation of discipling that is that some does some older christian may be the one that initiates the disciple making process by selecting someone uh, Jesus did that with his disciples. He walked along as he saw them. He said, you, come follow me. You, follow me. He did not call to everybody. He was selective, and he initiated the call. I believe if you have been a Christian for five years, you ought to have somebody, or you ought to be asking God to show you somebody that you can specifically disciple. And, uh, and by the way, making disciples takes time, it takes energy, and many times it fails. There, there are times that you might invest three years in somebody's life and they end up, being a failure, even turning away from the faith. I had one young man back in Humboldt, Tennessee, that I spent the three years that I was there just pouring my life into him as much as I could. And later, after I left, he actually went away from the faith, denied the faith. And all that time I spent with him, uh, I felt like he just broke my heart. So there's no guarantee that if you disciple somebody, it's going to, quote, work. But I would say that most of the disciples that I've had, they are following Christ fervently today, and they are making disciples in many other places. So there needs to be a sense of initiation. And by the way, it may not be the disciple maker that, that does the initiation. I had a young man that came to me just about six weeks ago, 
And he said, uh, Brother Nick, would you disciple me? And uh, so he initiated it. And uh, so that's, uh, so, but there needs to be an initiation. In other words, it doesn't, if you, if somebody doesn't ask, if somebody doesn't initiate it, it just probably won't get done. That makes sense, doesn't it? Okay, that's the first I, initiation. And then second is intentionality. It has to be an intentional thing. Being a disciple and making a disciple has to be done on purpose. Now, there's a certain sense in which you can say, I could say to all of you, now, I want to, I want to disciple all of you by preaching to you. But that's not discipleship. That's exhortation. That's encouragement. That's explanation. That's not discipling. Discipling has to be intentional, and it generally has to be one-on-ones. That's the third I is individual. It has to be somewhat individual. Now, again, I know some people will say, uh, well, didn't Jesus have 12 disciples? He did. Uh, but he spent more time with some of those disciples than he did others. And I think that probably with the Apostle John, he even spent more time than he did with uh, Peter and James. And so, uh, as a general rule, discipling is pretty much an individual thing for a period of time. You can't... I've never been able to have more than three people that I was discipling at a time. Because discipling takes time. And you have to spend time with those people. You cannot just have that as kind of a... uh, hobby it is a focused intentional individual thing and then the fourth thing i would say is that it does require some instruction you have to know something to teach and by the way you cannot teach something that you yourself are not learning so if you're going to be a discipler you have to continue to be discipled and you continue to be learning so that you can teach And, by the way, there's some tremendous, wonderful materials at Lifeway and other Christian uh, uh, resource centers that are designed to help you be a learner first and then a discipler with what you're learning. And so, uh, and by the way, if you're going to be discipled, I think the chief quality of one who's being discipled is they have to be teachable they have to be teachable uh if you've ever tried to teach anybody who already knew everything you know how frustrating that can be i worked in a cotton mill uh one time and i was i worked at the end of the cotton mill process where we ended up rolling strands of rope into 100-pound balls. I was called a ball winder. That's a real fancy job. You know, everybody wanted that job. But uh, we'd wind those ropes up into 100-pound balls and then label them and so forth and stack them. And uh, I was uh, 20, 20 years old, 
And our boss came to me and said, uh, Nick, we've got a new guy who's coming in to train to be a ball winder. And he said, I want you to teach him how to do it. Well, I'd never thought of myself as a ball winding teacher, but I said, well, I'll do my best. And I think I could have done it, except for the fact that the man who came in was about 40, and I'm 20, and I'm a young whippersnapper as far as he's concerned, and he absolutely refused to listen to anything that I had to tell him. And if I told him do it this way, he would just do it the opposite way. And it was a horrible experience for me and for him because one of the things that I cautioned him about was how to be careful in uh, taking the rope off of the spools because I said if you get your hand caught in there, it'll just rip your hand off. And he just absolutely let me know. I already know that. Everything I said to him, I know that. I know that. And then one night he got his hand caught in the spool and tore off a couple of his fingers. And my boss came to me and said, didn't you warn him about that? And I thought, you know, there's a lesson here for me as a pastor and as a disciple maker is that I need to find disciples who say, I want to learn. I need to learn. I don't know enough. And I'm teachable. And I tell you what, if you will be teachable, you then will be a good teacher if you find someone else who is teachable. And then the last thing that I would say, now, have you lost track of the eyes so far? Initiation intention, individual, instructional. It's amazing. Y'all just, it's like you're reading them or something. And then the fifth one is it leads to imitation, imitation. Now, I know you might think, well, we don't want to be imitators, but the Apostle Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And listen to this in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. It's a great for disciple makers. Luke chapter 6, verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully discipled or fully trained, he will be like his teacher. As a matter of fact, our goal in disciple-making is that we are constantly <clears throat> pressing into the heart of God and praying that we will be becoming more and more like Jesus. And, therefore, if we are discipling someone, our goal is that they will be becoming more and more like us as we are becoming more and more like Christ. And that's not arrogant. That's not, uh, not self-focused. That's exactly what the Bible says, that when you have fully discipled someone, they will be 
like the teacher that has discipled them. Now, that doesn't mean that you're perfect. As a matter of fact, some people think, well, uh, if, I, if I'm wanting people to learn from me and become like me, I guess I just have to be perfect. Well, if that's your way of thinking, might as well forget that. But <clears throat> what, what you want to do as a disciple maker is to show people not only how to do the right thing, but how to do the right thing after you have maybe done a wrong thing. It is as important for your disciples to see you repent after you failed as it is for them to see you succeed. And you will succeed a lot of times, but you will also fail sometimes. And when you fail, you don't hide it, you don't cover it up, you don't deny it, you don't make excuses for it, you don't say, well, I was just tired. You say, I was wrong, and I repent. And you let your disciples see you repent. Now, obviously, the disciples of Jesus never had to see that because he never failed, but we will. <clears throat> I asked my son one time when we were on a trip to Bulgaria, I asked him, uh, if he could tell me the most, the three most significant things he learned from me. And uh, I was surprised. I thought he was going to list some of those great sermons he'd heard me preach. He never mentioned one single sermon. He said, there, there are three things that come to my mind immediately. Number one, he said, you taught me to love your, my Bible. And he said, you know the way you did that? He said, I would see you in your recliner reading your Bible, and you would read for a while, and then you would lay it down on your chest, and you would hug your Bible. And he said, I would go in my bedroom, and I'd lay down on my bed, and I'd take my Bible, and I'd hug my Bible. And I'd say, if Daddy loves his Bible, I want to love my Bible. Now, I have to admit that I don't remember doing that. I honestly believe I would be read for a while, lay my Bible on my chest, and because I was tired, I'd just fold my arms over it. I didn't think of myself as hugging my Bible, but he did. And he said, and the second thing was he said, I would hear you praying out loud for me. And you would be praying. You would call my name and say, God, help Jason. And he said, that was so meaningful to me. But he said, I think the most meaningful thing was the time you hit me in the head with your Bible. Now, that needs a little bit of explanation. We had, we had built a new building at the church where I was pastoring. And we were going to have our first Sunday in our new church. And I was so proud of that new building. And I was going to go up to church early that morning, and I was going to pray. That seemed like a spiritual thing to do. And I was going to go up there and pray and just dedicate this new building to God. And so Jason was about five years old, and he said, Can I go with you? And at first I said no, but then I thought, Well, it might be good for him to see his dad spiritually uh, 
spiritual giant, you know, praying for this new building. So I said, yes, you can go. So we came in the swinging doors there like this. And for, for me, this was a new holy sanctuary. But for Jason, it was just a new place to play. And man, he starts running down this way. And I'm saying, son, son, don't run in here. Don't. That was before I knew that buildings aren't holy. And he ran up and got up on the sacred spot, you know, right here where the preacher stands. And then he did a Geronimo jump right off, yeah, and jumped off. Well, by that time, I had gotten to him, and I had my red Schofield Bible in my hand. And I just whacked him in the head. Well, he looked up at me, and he just kind of shook his head. It was leather-bound, but it wasn't hardback. And he looked at me, and tears started running down his face. He said, Daddy, I can't believe you hit me with your Bible. And... I've got to tell you, at that moment, it was like the Holy Spirit just kind of reached down out of heaven and whacked me and said, that was a great lesson, Dad. And I immediately was just crushed. And I got down on my knees, right eye level with him, and I said, Son, I need to ask you to forgive me for two things. Number one, because I hit you. Please forgive me for that. But I said, that's not the main thing. I said, I need to ask you to forgive me because for a few minutes here today, this building became more important to me than my son. Would you forgive me? And kids love to forgive their dads. And he grabbed me around the neck and said, Yes, Daddy, I forgive you. Twenty years later, when I'm asking him the greatest lessons I ever taught him, he said, That was the greatest lesson. To see my dad say, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? I talk to so many teenagers today who say, I have never heard my dad say, I'm wrong. Forgive me. So disciple makers aren't perfect. We try to be good teachers. We try to be good examples. But we also have to be good repenters. And as we do that, we train others not to be prideful, not to be arrogant, not to pretend they're perfect, but to honestly say, in my process of becoming more like Christ, in my process of growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, part of that growth will be as a result of those times that I don't do everything right. And so 
Here's what I would challenge you today. Ask God to help you in two directions. Find someone to pour your life into. And while Christ's pouring his life into you, you find someone that you can pour your life into. Men, you find a young man that you can disciple. Ladies, you find a young woman that you can disciple. And so that that would be the first thing. The second is that if you are that young man or that young woman, ask God for a disciple maker. Say, God, show me someone that can train me in the areas where I'm weak. If you're a you're a young woman, most young women don't know how to be good wives. They don't know how to be good mothers. They need to learn. And the best person to teach you is someone that you have observed doing that well. So, be a disciple. And be a disciple maker. And that's what I hope we can do as a church is to say we exist to make disciples and to equip disciple makers. Now, in the service tonight, if you can come back at 6 o'clock tonight, I'm going to talk tonight about the number one component in disciple making, the absolute foundational bedrock of being a disciple and being a disciple maker. I think it'll be encouraging to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for those who have had a great impact in my life, and even though I've not had someone that says, walk with me, there have been many that I have observed who have been greatly influential in my life. And I pray that you will help us to seek disciple makers and help us to seek disciples that we can train and encourage and help. And I pray for this church. Lord, I'm so grateful for Bear Creek Baptist Church. And I know you've placed us right in this particular place and in this particular time to reach out and touch the lives of literally thousands and thousands of people of all ages. And I pray that as we are discipled and as we disciple others, that that number will multiply for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.